Investing Compass is brought to you by Morningstar Australia. We'll run through the fundamentals of investing, take a deep dive of concepts and offer practical explanations, tools and resources that will allow you to invest confidently. The information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. All right, Shawnee, we're back with another podcast. It's amazing that we keep doing this, right? <laughs> um, we're going to talk about what to do before you start investing today. But before we get in that, and I know this is always strange because we record these things and they come out later, but it's Thanksgiving week, Shawnee. It is. So are you excited about Thanksgiving? I'm really excited. Okay. I'm looking up recipes. What are you thinking about making? So just so people know, so Shawnee, for the second year in a row, is going to come over to my place for Thanksgiving. What are you going to make? I mean, I'm seeing a lot of sweet pies, and I just don't know how I feel about that. Okay. Well, that's one option, but you can you can keep exploring. <laughs> so anyway, the next time we do this, we can talk about what you ultimately made, mm-hmm. and then we'll critique it a little bit. Yeah. You think that's fair? I think that's fair. Okay. So let's talk about what to do before you invest. So we thought this was a pretty important topic to cover, and just to make sure that everyone's in a position to invest which is kind of like laying the foundation on a house. So actually taking that plunge and starting to invest is a really important first step. But the real power investing comes over many years after that. So you have to keep up at it. Um, So it's kind of like going to the gym, right? So like going once is good, but you should probably keep going if you actually want to see some benefits. I feel like you're attacking me right now. I'm not attacking (laughs) you right now. I was trying to come up with an analogy, Shani. That makes things relatable. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, So... We're going to talk about the foundations that you need before you start investing. And then most importantly, laying these foundations, make sure that you're able to keep investing and able to eventually get all of the good things that come out of investing. Yeah. And this is pretty relevant now. Um, There's a rise of new investors in the market. So almost a quarter of investors started within the last two years in Australia. And um, this trend is really looking to continue. So 27% of intending investors, so those who plan to begin investing within the next 12 months, are under 25. So the study that these statistics are from, it's called the ASX Australian Investor Study, um, and it's for 2020. It also looked at the information sources that people use when making decisions. So 64% of these new investors rely on friends and family and newspapers. And I think what's important to note here is that both of these sources would be relying on other people's experiences um, or would not be a holistic look at your personal situation and what might be the right vehicles to get you to your financial goals. So it's important that when you're setting yourself up for investing, um, this is at the forefront of your mind. We talk about this quite a bit in our podcast, but um, people don't invest to beat benchmarks. They invest to reach their financial goals. Um, And that could be a house, a holiday, or a comfortable retirement, anything that you're really aiming for. And these goals differ from person to person. Um, your circumstances differ from person to person. So your wage, your expenses, your financial responsibilities. So it'd be pretty folly to think that an investment someone chats to you about would be right and for you off the bat. Yeah. So I think if we look at investing holistically, there's one side of it, obviously, finding investments that will give you the returns you need to reach your goals. But that's really only half the journey. So structuring is crucial. And it's just making sure that you have the right foundations to stay on track and give yourself the best chance of actually reaching your goals. Yeah. So this is what this episode is for. So we'll run through what you need to consider before you invest and then how to get yourself in a position that will enable you to invest confidently. So some of the considerations that we'll run through today are debt, emergency funds, budgeting, and um, portfolio construction once you're ready to take the plunge. 
So the first consideration is ensuring that you have no personal debt or liabilities. In almost all circumstances, your priority should be debt reduction if you're in a non-investment or government loan-related debt. Yeah, so credit cards and personal loans are the most common types of bad debt. So it's important to understand that these products usually charge extremely high interest rates. Um, and these loans or credit cards can often snowball the accumulated interest, which is basically compounding in reverse at the end of the day. We've talked about compounding a lot. That's a return on a return. Well, you are paying interest on interest if, you, uh, if you're just meeting the minimum payment. So it's really important that you pay off all of these high-priced liabilities as soon as possible before you even consider investing. And really, the bottom line is that it's unlikely that you'll be able to earn an investment return that's higher than the interest rate that you're paying on these loans. So most credit cards have interest rates of between like 18 and 25%. And what that basically means is that if you're at 18% and you borrow $1,000, you pay $180 just in interest payments for the year. And these are really significant costs. And when you think about investing, if you were able to earn an 18% return in a year, that would be really phenomenal. And you know, it's been a crazy year in the markets, but over the past 140 years, and this is a US-based study, stocks return 9.2%. With the worst decade, the 1930s, returning an average annual rate of negative 4%. Yeah. So if you're running this scenario, there are very few instances where you wouldn't become poorer by investing. Um, and don't forget as well that this is worsened by taxes. So you'll be taxed on any of the returns that you make on these investments. And the amount returned by your investment will more than likely be less than your interest payments. So there are obviously more types of debt than a personal loan or a credit card. And a question we get a lot from young investors as well is whether they should pay off their hex debt before they invest. So in almost all cases, the answer is no. Um, hex or help debts are some of the best loans that you can get. Um, not only is it investing something worthwhile you, but it also doesn't charge you interest. What you'll see added to your debt on um, the 1st of June every year is something called indexation. And indexation is applied to the sum to adjust the cost to the cost of living. Um, and this maintains its real value. So in other words, uh, you'll be hard pressed to find a cheaper loan ever again. Um, so I've got a hex debt and I understand how frustrating it can be. It's pretty painful seeing the money deducted from each paycheck, but it's important to take a step back and realize that in most cases, um, your debt is a worthwhile investment in your earning power. And I've chosen not to pay it off because it's the opposite situation of a credit card or personal loan. The indexation amount that's charged on the loan is a really low hurdle in terms of investment earnings. Um, so I'd be better off putting my spare cash in a term deposit, equities, or anything that earns me more than that indexation amount. All right. And then the last big piece of debt that, that people generally have are, of course, mortgages. So we get questions all the time. Should I invest while I have an outstanding balance on my mortgage? Should I just put all my extra cash into paying down my mortgage? And the main difference is that paying down your mortgage will reduce your debt, whereas investing will diversify your overall wealth and income. So this is a real trade-off, and many people grapple with these two choices. So we'll spend a little bit of time walking through some of the nuances of investing versus mortgages or paying off your mortgage. It's a little less black and white than the personal loans and credit card, and it depends on a number of different factors, including your expected return, your time horizon, your tax situation and how secure your income is. 
Yeah, so there are really two strategies with this, concurrent or sequential. Concurrent is when you have a mortgage, but you also start putting money into other asset types like equities. Um, Sequential is focusing your energy on paying down your mortgage first and then only focusing your in on investing in other assets once you've paid it down. Um, So there are obviously a lot of other variables that are involved in the decision to take either of these avenues. Um, And the first is assuming that you do have extra cash after your expenses and mortgage payments. Then um, deciding what to do with this extra cash is dependent on a few main considerations. So the first is returns. What returns are you expecting from the asset you're looking to invest in? Does it earn more on your funds than your mortgage rates? Um, so owner-occupier rates are sitting at around 2 to 3% for most mortgages and equity markets have a different risk return profile. You're taking on risk, but for a higher reward. Yeah, and I think you know the complexity that gets added in obviously is the interest rate is the hurdle you're trying to beat with uh with investing so that two two to three percent isn't that difficult to beat but at the same time obviously there is potential appreciation in the housing prices so you're paying down principal and that of course could could uh could be something that um could also grow in value but anyway let's talk about investment returns so asic money smart which is a government agency website puts australian shares at a 6.5 percent return over the last 10 years and that doesn't include the run that equity prices have gone on this year. So, of course, this is historical. Remember, Shawnee, you were going to get that tattoo on your forehead. (laughs) And for those of you in podcast land that have not seen Shawnee, she still does not have that tattoo. So that's an update. I I will tell everybody the minute you get it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how high your pain threshold is. I have a feeling this could be like a letter at a time thing, (laughs) but but we'll see. So yeah, those returns are historical. They're not guaranteed in the future. And we talked about this during our interest rate podcast, but returns also most likely won't look like they have in the past few decades, really just because interest rates drive equity returns to a certain extent. So interest rates can't drop much lower than they have, um, which means at some point they are probably going to rise in the future. So rising interest rates have historically meant lower equity returns. And Goldman Sachs came out with a report in July of this year, and they've come to a similar conclusion. It's nice when Goldman Sachs comes to a similar conclusion as us. (laughs) Nice to get a little validation sometimes in life. Um, They've indicated that they think the S&P 500's average yearly returns over the coming decade will be less than half of what they were in the previous decade. And one of the things I attribute to is the fact that interest rates can't go down anymore and economic expansion can't continue at the same rate that it has. Yeah, so um, let's move on to the second consideration, which is tax. So depending on the type of loan you've taken out, it'll impact your tax outcomes and deduction eligibility. So if the property in question is an investment property, your interest may be tax deductible. And this isn't applicable if it's your primary residence, so the place that you live. In the same way, tax should also be a consideration if you're looking to invest in equities. So all of the rates of return that we use in this podcast that are used by fund managers um, or when you look at investment returns, Um, they're all pre-tax. So we have marginal tax rates in Australia. So the after-tax returns from investments will vary based on how much you earn, Um, but also the level of franking credits and capital gains you earn. So tax consequences are definitely a consideration when you're looking to invest and you have an outstanding mortgage. 
Yeah. And the next one is pretty important. So time horizon. And, you know, this is really a major factor that will determine whether you employ the concurrent strategy or the sequential strategy. So as a general rule, and once again, this is a general rule, um, if you have less than three years on your mortgage, it might be worth focusing your efforts on actually paying that down. But the longer you have to pay your mortgage, the more attractive investing becomes. Longer time horizons for equity investments have meant that they have time to compound. And compounding is a theme we discuss a lot, but it's really the key to how people build wealth and become successful investors over time. So the longer you have to keep your money in the market, the higher your return, meaning you have a greater chance of earning more than the mortgage interest rate and any sort of appreciation from housing. Okay. So the next point is a safety buffer. You need to ensure that you're able to afford your mortgage payments in your budget, um, but you also need to ensure that you've built a buffer to be ahead of your mortgage repayments before you consider investing. Um, and that's because you never know what the future holds. Wages are never a certainty. You might need to take time off work for unexpected circumstances, um, or you might have unexpected expenses like a car or house repair. We'll speak a little bit more about this further along in the episode, um, but the point is that you should um, ensure that you have enough to cover this. Yeah, so the future is unknowable, even for you, Shani. You told me once how you went to a psychic, so you might know the future. I might, yeah. You might, well. We Do you want will. to know what happens to you, mate? I'm sure it's not good. <laughs> I'm sure it's not good. But um, anyway, future's unknowable, and we really want to go into a little bit about what these unexpected circumstances may be. And, you know, one factor, of course, is to look at how you actually earn your money. So if you're in a really cyclical industry, um, if you are a contractor or anyone whose income is uncertain, usually people need to build up a little bit of cash because of the uncertainty of the sustainability of the surplus in their budget. And that basically means there's a higher chance that if there is variability in your income, that you could potentially miss a mortgage payment. Now, that doesn't mean that you should not invest at all. Um, so we'll walk through these buffers and hopefully give a couple tips on how you can prevent unfavorable situations where you're not able to meet those commitments on potentially a month-to-month -month basis. But what we will say is that investing does become more attractive when your work is stable. The last thing you want to do is hit a period of low or no income, and that would force you to actually sell off your portfolio at potentially an unfavorable time to meet your mortgage payments or any other obligation you have. But again, those situations are preventable with the right preparation. And Shawnee, who has a very unstable income right now because of how much she makes fun of me on these things, is a good person to provide advice on this. I should not take a mortgage out. You Sorry. definitely, you definitely shouldn't. <laughs> okay. Um, but I think it's also important to note how paying down your mortgage impacts diversification of your portfolio. So paying down your mortgage is pure principle. And what this means is you're putting more and more money into housing as an asset class. So if you look at your net worth holistically, you need to decide if all your taxable wealth should be tied up in a house. And obviously, your view of this would change depending on the housing market. But remember, there can be differences between the overall housing market and the suburb or state that your house is in. So the local economy can have an impact on housing prices in your area and um, preferences for where people want to live may impact the desirability and price of your particular home. So housing is generally the biggest single investment that people make. Um, just remember that you're adding more of your assets to this investment by paying down your mortgage. And this is another case for a concurrent approach, ensuring that you're not tying your wealth um, to one asset. So these are all considerations for when you decide whether to take a concurrent or sequential approach um, to mortgages and investing. 
ultimately time horizon is really important to deciding this. Um, we take a long-term look and we are long-term investors at Morningstar. So the longer you have in the market, the better chances you have for reaching your financial goals. And for many people, owning their own house is not their only financial goal. People have goals attached to travel, a comfortable retirement, education-related goals. So investing for a number of goals at the same time makes sense in most situations. All right. So we've talked about a number of different types of debt and talked about whether it makes sense to pay off that debt or invest. The other foundational or another foundational element is this safety buffer that we referenced a couple times. So that is your emergency fund. So an emergency fund is simply a pool of savings to cover unexpected expenses if you don't have Shawnee psychic, of course. And this could be medical expenses, a car breaking down, unexpected time off of work. And emergency funds can vary in size. So most guidance suggests maybe three to six months of salary. But I think what we prefer is following a guideline of three to six months of expenses instead. And ultimately, this is a personal choice and it's what works for you in order to be comfortable. And the purpose of this fund is to provide an easily accessible source of funds whenever you need them. So it's important that you're prepared for the unexpected and you should really focus on building up an emergency fund before considering investing. Yeah. And if you have extra cash after your expenses, after every paycheck, um, which you probably do if you're considering investing, um, make sure that you use this cash to build your emergency fund first. So some people find it really hard to keep their hands off a large sum of money like that. So a good tip is out of sight, out of mind. Um, open a bank account with another provider. It's still accessible, but not in front of you every time you log into your banking app. So I do this. Um, I keep my emergency fund with another provider just because it's a lump sum and I've used it as an opportunity to give it to a provider that has a high interest rate. So I'm earning a better return on cash and it's out of sight as well. So I don't feel tempted to dip into it. I thought you actually kept your emergency fund in stacks of cash in your freezer. I do. Yeah. I have a very small freezer. So So you have a very small emergency (laughs) fund. Okay. Well, we'll do a future episode where the size of your freezer dictates your savings. That'll be an exciting one. Um, The other thing is, obviously, if we're focused on expenses here and expenses driving your emergency fund, um, you need to calculate them correctly. So you may have different expenses month to month. So ensure that you look at your expenses over the space of three, four months when you come to the amount that you want to have in your emergency fund. All right. So let's say you've got a a surplus and that's why you're looking to invest. We need to look at whether that surplus is actually sustainable and budgeting, which nobody likes, right? But budgeting is a key enabler of investing, understanding what this month to month surplus is, how much you'll have left over after your expenses is really the only way you're able to comfortably invest without getting into situations where you overextend yourself. And there are all sorts of different budgets. And so what works for you will really depend on you and your spending habits and your personality. So if you're not sure where to start or you haven't started budgeting, you shouldn't start investing. The best place to start um, would be a personal cash flow statement. So this is understanding where your money is going um, now and where you're actually spending your money. So if you're interested in your own personal cash flow statement, we're happy to send you a worksheet that you need to fill in. So send us a request um, to the email in the episode notes. 
All right. So once you've understood your position, you can start to budget. So assigning part of your income to different expenses. And because expenses can vary month to month, you need to make sure that you use the same rule as your emergency fund. Use several months as a guide so different expenses can be accounted for. And there are all sorts of different budget rules um, and different budget approaches that we can go through. But the really important thing is find something that actually works for you. So don't over under restrict yourself. Give yourself an opportunity to live your life, create a sustainable budget that you can maintain, and then have this steady stream of surpluses that you can put into investments. Yeah. So um, you mentioned a sustainable surplus. Um, so if you've got this sustainable surplus, now it's time to understand how you construct your portfolio. So constructing your portfolio involves four activities. The first is defining your goals, then calculating your required rate of return, selecting an asset allocation target, and selecting investments. We won't go into too much detail on these four activities because um, we'll run through it properly in another episode, but we can start by talking about why each step is important and what it means. I'll start with the first. Um, so it's defining your goals. Defining goals allows you to plan your investment objectives around your needs, and it's not just about maximizing your returns. So what this can do in some circumstances is reduce the level of risk that you take, especially when it's not required to reach your end goal. And if your goal is to go on a trip to Europe in a year's time, um, probably not at the moment. Um, but if you wanted $10,000 to go on this trip and you already had nine grand, plus you're putting aside $200 a month for the year, you wouldn't put that whole amount into the equity market to pull out in a year. So it's important to answer questions like this. What are your objectives? How much will it cost to fund these objectives? Also considering inflation, when do you need the money to pay for these objectives and how much have you saved already? Yeah. And defining these goals will obviously be kind of the bedrock for all of your different decision making around how you're constructing your portfolio, as Shani was mentioning. But there's another really good side for about determining your goal. So it helps you understand how much you are going to have to save in order to actually meet your return or, or in order to actually meet your goals. So the return obviously matters, but particularly if you're a younger investor with a longer time to save, the amount that you save each month is really important as well. And a lot of people actually approach this from the opposite way, which is instead of budgeting and investing their surplus without considering whether it's going to get them to their goal, they can turn that around and say, how much do I actually need to invest to reach my goal? So if you change a small habit when you're younger, that improves the surplus a little bit. And the compounding of those returns of those savings can result in a really big difference. So framing your life goals can sometimes help you prioritize. I know we said we'd find someone other than Warren Buffett to talk about, but he summed this up really well. He was known to say, do I really want a $300,000 haircut? And this is Buffett putting into perspective that a haircut might cost you $50 today, but you're giving up an opportunity to invest that money and for it to compound and grow into something more. We make these trade-offs every day. And, you know, I know uh, I know you've thought a little bit about this, Shani. Will you uh, you want to talk about some of the trade-offs that you've made? Um, yeah. So <laughs> all of the trade-offs that I make sound really superficial, but it's just, yeah, one less coffee a week, a couple less coffees a week. Um, and that can sort of compound into a holiday over time. Um, so, yeah, I've done that. What about you, mate? 
Yeah, no, the coffee thing is interesting because when you come to work, you say, let's go for a coffee, and then you forget your wallet conveniently. So that's what she means by one less coffee a week. Um, but yeah, no, same same type of thing. Obviously, I'm so old, and I think you told me that I only had three years left to live. So it doesn't really matter anymore what I do. Um, but yeah, certainly when I was younger, there were a lot of situations where um, instead of going to New York for a weekend with friends, I stayed back up in Boston, where I lived at the time, and uh, and really thought about what those savings would turn out to be when invested over the long term. And, you know, I don't know if this is uh, admitting too much, but uh, but yeah, I just remember when I uh, when I got my first financial calculator, I would sit there and try to figure out, hey, what does this actually mean? These seemingly small amounts of money every month, what would it mean over the long term? And thought about, hey, maybe not going to a weekend in New York means I can spend a month on leave when I'm older. So, and that was before I knew that I was going to die so soon. So, uh, so in retrospect, maybe those are really bad decisions. Young Mark sounded really responsible. Are you saying that that differs from the mark that you know now? A little, yeah. Okay. Um, so if you're not sure where to start or you need some structure, we've got a worksheet for this too. So you can email us again at the email in our episode notes and we'll send you through the goal planning worksheet. So then you need to calculate your required rate of return. You need to do this to understand the types of assets that might help you achieve your goals. So if your required rate of return is 2% compared to 6%, your portfolio would consist of different assets to reach your goals. And there are quite a few variables that go into calculating this. Um, so we've taken the work out of it and created a required rate of return calculator. And it takes into consideration your starting balance, inflation, how much you contribute and how much time you have left to give you a percentage return you need to achieve to get to your goal. Um, and we're not the only ones who have done this. So if you don't have a Morningstar premium subscription or a trial, you can just search for financial calculator and that that will give you the same answer. Yeah. And this, this calculation is basically just a variation of the time value of money formula. So all that this formula answers is how much will an investment be worth in the future, given a certain rate of return. So the required rate of return is just a variation of this formula. For those of you that remember algebra, we're just rearranging different uh, different parts of this formula. And as Shani said, it just answers that question, how much does my investment need to earn to be worth a certain amount in the future? So now that you've got your required rate of return, you need to find the right asset allocation for your, for your portfolio. So different assets have different risk and return profiles. This means that they have varying expected returns, and you can use these different expected returns as guidance to putting together your portfolio. So Money Smart, a government agency website, provides some guidelines. For more ambitious rates of return, you'll look for more growth assets in your portfolio. So that would be shares, property, alternative investments. You can also go for a more defensive mix of fixed income investments or term deposits if it's a lower required rate of return. So at Morningstar, we've got some pre-mixed asset allocation guidance on our website. Um, and what that really does is it matches up this required rate of return that you calculate with an asset allocation suggestion. So it'll tell you how much you should put in Aussie equities or international equities um, or any of these other different asset classes, including cash. So it outlines the assets that might be best suited to help you get to your end goal. And I think it's important to mention here that time is such a large factor in this. Um, time is a huge influencer in your ability to reach your goals, whether that be because you need time for investments to grow or for you to save and invest capital. And that's why we always stress starting investing early. Um, a common theme we hear from people who are looking to invest but haven't is that they're waiting for the right time. 
and there have been countless studies done, including one by Morningstar, that timing the market does not work. The key to successful outcomes is time in the market, so the duration of time spent with your money invested. People are obviously scared of losing money and that's completely reasonable. You've earned it and you've worked hard to save um, and you're obviously tying, trying to reach your financial goals in the future. Um, but the risk of not in- investing and not achieving your goals is as much, is a much more significant risk in our opinion. One of the facts that I like to tell people when they tell me that they're scared of investing or that they're waiting for the right time um, is that time in the market dampens all of these fears and risks quite drastically. So if you look at any 20-year rolling period in the Aussie stock market, so you can pick any year from 1900 to now, 20 years on, you would not have had a negative return. So when you're looking at your goals and especially your your long-term goals, um, when you're first starting to invest, the thought of putting your money into investments might seem really daunting, um, but know that history is on your side. And especially when we're talking about equity investments, we've stressed the point that you're not gambling your money. You're investing in companies and what every company has in common is that at some point they'll need money in order to run their business. And basically you're exchanging your money for an ownership stake in that business. All right. And this brings us to the last of those four steps. And that's, of course, selecting the actual investments that you're going to use to construct your portfolio. So there are a lot of different investment products out there um, with uh, that, of course, cover different asset uh, classes, investing styles, different regions of the world. So how do you know which is the right one for you? Well, we could spend multiple podcasts probably on this, Shani, but there are a few core decisions that you need to make. The first is you need to decide, are you going to invest in direct shares or are you going to invest in a collective investment vehicle? And a collective investment vehicle is anything where investors pool their money, so like managed funds or ETFs or LICs. Um, when you're making these trade-offs, it's important to remember that you don't need to choose one and stick to a single one. You're able to invest in both direct shares and different collective investment vehicles just because they can be used for different requirements in your portfolio. Then, if you are investing collective investment vehicles, you've got to decide whether you're going to go with an active or a passive approach. And of course, these are also not mutually exclusive. You can have one and not the other, or you can have both. A lot of people champion a particular strategy. There's no reason why you can't have both in your portfolio. I know I do, just because they do serve different purposes. So in a future episode, we'll go through this whole process of selecting investments, and we'll talk through which one might Um, suit your particular circumstances. Um, So whether it's a larger balance or living paycheck to paycheck and investing paycheck to paycheck. And of course, where you are in kind of that sophistication spectrum, whether you are a novice, um, whether you are uh, more experienced and more confident. So we'll help you through that process of finding the right investments for your portfolios. Um, So we've covered a lot today. So let's give it a quick recap. You've decided to start investing. What should you do first? So the first thing to do is make sure that you've got your foundation set. Make sure you're in a comfortable position to invest, which means you've eliminated bad debts and you've got um, loans tied to mortgages. You've considered the trade-off between paying down your mortgage and investing. Second, your emergency fund is set up. So nobody wants to start investing their money, have an emergency come up and be forced to pull out their funds. So an emergency fund ensures that you're covered in these emergencies and gives your investments a buffer so they have the time to do their thing um, and get you where you want to go. 
third, a budget will ensure that your investing is sustainable. So understanding your surplus and how, if at all, your cash flow varies will prevent any situations where you're not able to meet your commitments. And fourth, go through the steps of constructing your portfolio. Instead of just going straight into investing into um, the ETF your mate told you about, define your goals, understand what's needed to achieve them, and then pick the vehicles that will get you there. All right. So why don't we go through a couple different resources? So as Shani mentioned multiple times, and Shani mentions this because the email address is mine that's in the uh, show notes. But if you want... Mark loves emails. I do love emails. It makes me feel special. You know, Shani? That's why I have 10,000 unread ones. Um, Anyway, I will answer your email, by the way. But if you need need worksheets on goal planning or the personal cash flow statement, just send a request through that email address that's in the episode notes. Other resources. So we've talked a couple times about the guide to portfolio construction. If you're ready to start investing um, and you've gone and completed all those foundational steps we talked about, it'll walk through that four-step process that we went through. Another great guide that Shani wrote, the guide to selecting investments, that will go through those last things we were talking about, the active versus passive, direct shares versus collective investment vehicles, et cetera. And then uh, one of my favorite tools on our website is our goal calculator that comes up with that required rate of return. Am I allowed to say I have a favorite part of the website? I think so. Is it like choosing your favorite child? I know. I don't have any children. (laughs) So I guess my child equivalent is the website. But anyway, it is my favorite. It is my favorite tool. Um, And what that will allow you to do is, as I said, it will allow you to calculate that required rate of return. If it's an unreasonable rate of return, you can go back and adjust all of the different inputs into that, how much you're saving, how long you're saving for, how much you would like in the future to accomplish your goal. And I think it really just playing around with it my dorky story about playing around with my calculator. It's the same equivalent, Did right? Did that get the girls, mate? Did that get the girls? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Like you wouldn't believe. Um, so that uh, that is really helpful. And then we have a portfolio projector tool. Same thing. You can, uh, that one will definitely get the girls, Shani. Um, you can project where your portfolio will go given different savings rates and time horizons. And then finally, um, even though I certainly have a face for radio, um, we do have webinars that we do here. Um, so we have a bunch of investing boot camp webinars. So it's a great place to start to try to broaden your investment knowledge and become a more confident investor. If you send an email to that address, to my address, I will uh, I'll send you a page you can register. And then finally, we mentioned a couple of times Money Smart. So Money Smart is a great website for people that are just getting started. It's run by a government agency, so there's no sponsorship or product pushing. And it's got a bunch of great tools and articles that will help you find your feet. So that's all for this episode of Investing Compass. Um, so investing is something you should be proud of. You're considering your future self and the goals that you want to achieve. So we'll be here to support you with our past and future episodes. But if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, back, feel free to email us. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you. In the next episode, we'll start off with solving the mystery of what will Shani bring for Thanksgiving. (laughs) Any advice is general advice prepared by Morningstar without reference to your financial objectives, situation or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest.